Welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago and said he was hoping I'd have a cup of coffee with him again. That was nice. He and I haven't really shared a cup of coffee in a while. Be pleasant to revisit that. I'm sure he'll be back, hopefully with freshly brewed Java in hand. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into our brand new summer mega series. Mega series. It is Stranger Things season again, and the citizens of Hawkins are once more captivating audiences' attention and more of their time than ever before. So we wanted to spend our summer covering films and filmmakers that influenced the show, continuing today with a series highlighting four films from the manic and mad mind of one Mr. John Carpenter. Constant listeners may recall us discussing the works of Sir John way back in 2016. 2016, that was was like two decades ago. And we are thrilled to give Mr. Carpenter another round of coverage in the fog. Last week, 
Fogger extraordinaire and legal counsel Dave Courtney joined us for a visit to Hobbs End as we launched our Carpenter Redux series. But today, in this patron-voted series, that's right, this series and almost all the series we're covering this year are voted on by our patrons. Join them, and you too can vote on what films we cover. Today, we will be covering John Carpenter's Alice Cooper biopic, Prince of Darkness. But before we broadcast from the year 1999, permit me to remind you listeners that here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for right now when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com. Things like how to support us on Patreon, essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise, read. We are broadcasting from the year 1999 saying here we will this is not That's scary. This is not a te- that is scary. I'm like I'm not okay with that. Stop I'm doing just it. like uh Hey brother. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm good. I found this thing. This like canister of goo. It's like uh <laughs> oh. it's like secret of the ooze or something and I figured you and I could Camp out for the weekend and just kind of yeah. study it and figure out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean that on it on paper sounds like fun, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to hang to hang out though. That's true. You know, I think I've shared this story before, but okay. this has nothing to do with goop. It has nothing to do with you know like. Does it have to do with me? It does have to do with you, and it has to do okay, with hanging cool. out over the weekend. So, um, okay, um, okay. I, 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 I think I have shared this story before, but you, you witnessed that. Like, while I am fairly easy to startle in film, and and while I'm fairly easy to sort of like scare uh, in in fictional circumstances, you witnessed in the real one time, like uh, hanging out over a weekend. That I can be a a, a bit more uh, made of sterner stuff uh, when it comes to actually like being scared in the real, uh, because when we were all hanging out at a cabin, that was a, that was actually a birthday surprise for me. I will I will never forget uh, that when I just innocently was like, "Oh man, so good to be here with my friends." Nathan's here. We got our some of our other quarterly king friends are here. Just a, so great, just be hanging out here. It's great. I'm gonna relieve myself, and go to the bathroom real quick, and then I walk, I walk out to find our good friend Jeff is uh, wearing the creep peach fuzz, fuzz mask and uh, and tries to just like barrage me as I walk out of the bathroom. And if my memory serves me correctly, as he leaped forward for me, I think I leaped also forward towards him like <laughs> like just like going right at him like to tickle him or something and uh, yeah what felt- was the relevance of this utterly disappointing reminder of an utterly disappointing <laughs> moment <laughs> it's just, it, you know, just like hanging out on a weekend is that hang, that's what called to mind is like something potentially scary i was like you know what i bet i could hold my own against that green gloppy gloopy thing i think uh, it would have you know? second uh, uh something to say about your thinking you could hold your own against that <laughs> that's it a would, fair point a fair point it's like it's it would, like you want to test that theory you want to huh you want to want to throw it skins it, huh you want to spittle spittle into your yeah face hole you want to have a little fun you want to have something to nush yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all we, right so we have any business? Riri, huh do we have any business? um watch stranger things join do patreon that. so you can do that. join patreon be a patron write a review you know, I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while since we I got mean, a new review. You know, 
Yeah. We feel good about ourselves, but it's always nice to sure. hear y'all's thoughts. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Okay. Well, <laughs> right now, friends and foggers, uh, as part of this Carpenter Redux and a subsequent uh, um, series after it, as part of this mega series of Stranger Things Season 4 in our patron-only segments, we are covering Stranger Things Season 4. So last week, we did Episode 1. Um, we covered it without Dave Courtney, but had Dave Courtney on. That was great fun. It, to, was, fun. it, was, it was just a... <laughs> Close your mind, trying to engage that. <laughs> um, now it's going to be me and you, Reed. Wouldn't it be funny if Dave was on this Stranger Things episode? That would be hysterical. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> He's not. Um, but I guess funny. you'll just have to join Patreon to find out if he is, even though Reed just spoiled it. Just to the Patreon Mobile! <laughs> About this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, we are in uh, Carpenter Redux, Carpenter 2.0, if you will, uh, exploring the works of the one, the only, the unmatched John Carpenter, who I boldly cited last week as uh, you could make a case for the greatest horror director. Um, I know that's a bold case, but look at the body of work and 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 change my mind um again not in terms of singular achievement but in terms of collective achievement which that praise leads me to prince of darkness um i'm gonna ask you in a second what your you know experience was thoughts were going into this film what you expected maybe what you didn't to you know how you felt um but prince of darkness is an interesting entry to me because i think as many times as i have ever seen it and I've seen it at least half a dozen times now, I feel like every time I go into it, I have higher hopes for it than the film actually delivers, which is not to say that I don't like mm. the movie, but there's so much energy around the premise. There's some moments in here that I really respond to and that stick in my brain. So every single time I go into watching it, I always feel like I have higher hopes and expectations for the experience of watching it than I wind up getting, which is an odd thing for me to for me to feel because I don't think this is a bad movie but I don't think it reaches its full potential and I think I keep wanting to watch it feeling that it will this time reach its full potential and 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 that's uh that's my feelings about it which of course we'll get into specifics about but what did you know think or or uh experience going into this one hmm I kind of like the way you phrased that 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 it maybe doesn't quite realize the potential of its conceit um mm-hmm. I don't know that I consciously would have thought that I can see it. Um, so I'm uh, part of me is hesitant to kind of ask this just because I do want us to do that. Ain't right. There's plenty to pull from there. And I've got a little more didactic question on the horizon as well, but sure. I feel like you gave me a good segue here. So Prince of both of these movies in the mouth of madness, uh, Prince of darkness, I kind of appreciated a bit more than I expected to. Mm. And, and which isn't, Oh, I thought I wouldn't like these. I just, I really had no idea. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And both I found uh, genuinely interesting and well-crafted while still having, like I mentioned last week, this kind of B-movie sheen to them. Sure, so sure. you you kind of went into this last week, and I didn't want to interrupt you in the moment to say, hey, I'm going to ask you something similar to that next week. So mm-hmm. it'll be a bit of a, re- a reiteration, but you just pressed on a button that I want to pursue a little bit because you said um 
So I'll, I'll read you what I wrote and, okay. and uh, which was devoid of the context of either are in the mathematics con- conversation or what you just said. The actual question was, how do you assess Carpenter as a filmmaker? Mm. Um, because I don't know if you're picking up on this based on what's to come in Redux. This is the only Carpenter conversation that's just you and I. And, right, right. and I watched this and madness and like i just said found them interesting well crafted with still this kind of like you know flavor of schlocky b moviness to them so again i'll quit prefacing were the thing and halloween exceptions to the rule of carpenter is he a cool niche director or genuine shaper of cinema and so that's what i wrote down and what I don't want to be heard is Nathan doesn't really like Carpenter. In fact, what I'm saying is no, I'm kind of intrigued by him. I can't quite tell because what you just said two minutes ago was, Mm -hmm. I don't remember your exact verbiage, but something to the effect of best movie, best horror director. And Mm -hmm. my impulse in that moment, though, knowing I had this question staring at me was, well, how do you weigh him against like, even like a Wes Craven, someone who has Mm -hmm. a pretty substantive catalog and so, you know, in your mind, so clearly I'm, I'm volleying a few things at you, but I'm curious general thoughts, but like Damon Lindelof has come up a bunch. Star Wars. Star Wars was highly influential to mm-hmm. a certain generation of artists and filmmakers. Is Carpenter just the sort of reduced version of that, not reduced as in bad quality, but as in just, you know, Star Wars is one of the biggest global sensations of in cinema history. So that's mm, hard to compare mm-hmm. anything to, but sure, of course, is it just that Carpenter's influence, his footprint is vast for future generations or is cinema itself genuinely impacted by his contributions? I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, and I mean, I think the tricky thing to your question is I would say perhaps broadly is cinema impacted uh, 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 writ large? Um, no, unless we're talking about the horror genre. I don't sure. think the horror genre exists today as it exists without John Carpenter. If John Carpenter didn't yeah. exist, the, the as as the phrase in different contexts often goes, uh, the horror genre would have had to invented him. <laughs> like if he if he and his work didn't exist, there are some things that show up in Carpenter's work in ways that we cannot escape. The patron segment covered Stranger Things. I mean, uh, the three names that just saturate a thing like Stranger Things are Steven Spielberg, Stephen King, and John Carpenter. Like that synth score thing, like that, that is everywhere, you know, like, and, and virtually love that track. Well, and that's the other piece is that not only just his craft as a filmmaker, but Halloween alone, Halloween by itself started so many things that became so tropey, they became cliches and became like they were so it was so influential that they now define the genre when some things Halloween didn't quite do first, uh, but some things Halloween did do first and immediate and then did things in such a way that filtered out and spread out through everything else. But I think also the way that Carpenter approached, and I think in many ways for me, sophisticated B-movie schlock, um, you could go all the way back to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. I remember the conversation was largely about, um, you know, uh, horror was a basement genre at best until Alfred Hitchcock made Psycho. And then suddenly it's like, well, you have 
an unqualified, brilliant filmmaker toying in this sandbox. So these are the things that are going to come out of it. I think if John Carpenter um, had taken, and I, I feel like in many ways he was like misunderstood at the time, and those of us of our generation who grew, I know you didn't necessarily grow up walking John Carpenter, but folks contemporary sure. to us, yeah. and like myself, who it's like, you can't escape him. There's so many different things that he did in his films. This There's a, a, a consistent through line of, you know, uh, we talked last week about like eight senses of agency and senses of humanization. And there's all of these kinds of factors that are intrinsic to the horror genre that become interesting when he approaches a story like, I mean, Prince of Darkness is what we're talking about today, but you know, his landmarks, the thing and Halloween may be Carpenter at his best, but they are still largely Carpenter doing what he does, which is introducing an uncontrollable and inexplicable factor to an otherwise normative situation. And then things just, you know, unleash at that point, and then you you kind of can't recover from them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm answering your question very effectively, but I think for well, the horror genre, his influence is um, it's not an effectively worded question. So, but um, go ahead. Well, I think the only the only other thing that I was going to mention is uh, I just I feel like you 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 pitted him up against Wes Craven, and here's another reason why. Is because and to be I, fair, I wasn't arguing one is better than the other. Oh no, I'm I know just, that. No, no, no. Oh no, okay. I know. Yeah. Um, if I say, "Hey, greatest horror film director," and I qualify folks who have done more than just one film, I mean, there's going to be a lot of directors who crop up in that. There's some Italian film directors like Dario Argento and Mario Bava, and 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 there's going to be uh, plenty of horror filmmakers who have done a lot of work. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, I can't think of another one other than John Carpenter who has an easy dozen plus films all of them at least strong they may not all be great and they, they're certainly not all perfect but they're all at least strong and landmarks in this genre specifically i don't even think wes craven has quite that many because i mean he's pretty much got nightmare on elm street and he's got scream those are huge those are gigantic you know um sure. but his other films have middling returns even things that we've discussed in loose uh, briefly, like Serpent in the Rainbow, even People Under the Stairs or Shocker, those films are not as influential as any one of a dozen of Carpenter's films in terms of you know broad influence to the genre and what he brings to it. So that's why I think for the horror genre, his influence is incalculable. Maybe not to cinema writ large, but but to the horror genre, he's essential. Hmm. No, yeah, I can I can I can track with that. Um... Let me, if I can, I'm going to try to roll reverse a little bit here and offer a slight summary for Prince of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll go into some that ain't right. So Prince of Darkness, um, Donald Pleasance is the star who was the detective in Halloween, whose name I can't remember in that film, but, um, uh, Loomis, you say, yeah, Loomis, yes, yeah, Detective same. Loomis, yep. um, He's not a detective. He's a doctor. He's the uh, okay, Doctor Loomis, yes. paging Doctor Loomis. Yes, um, <laughs> he's uh, Michael Myers's doctor. <laughs> wow. Yes, <laughs> as a BB reference. Um, so Donald Pleasance plays a priest. Uh, a film starts with a a aged priest passing away, holding a little cask, a little something mm-hmm. in which is a key. Mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance's priest 
Um, I don't remember if this is explicitly stated, but discerns the door with which this key will open mm-hmm. inside of which is this, it's this old church, finds this door, opens it. And there's, I'm going to jokingly refer to it as the ooze canister. It, mm-hmm. it resembles, you know, kind of Ninja Turtles two era <laughs> thing, just bigger, this green, uh, amorphous liquid inside of it. And, uh, so, so tentpole characters are, Pleasance and then an academic. Uh, the two of them kind of join forces. The academic brings along a bunch of fellow peers who become fodder, yeah, uh, basically, to kind of study this thing over the course of a weekend. And there's a text attached to this. What you effectively learn is, in some fashion, this is a long-held secret of a certain sect of the Catholic Church that is essentially the devil. Or oh a, yeah a, oh it's the devil it's... a form of mm-hmm. uh, a means by which mm-hmm. um, and just the sort of bedlam that ensues as these the essence of Satan and people will. of faith uh, study this over the course and honestly they don't even get to the weekend part it's just like oh it's like that night a, lo- a yeah. long night and a long day <laughs> you know yeah basically um, and just all the you know typical carpenter nastiness that that reveals itself from oh, it. yeah, there's some carpenter nastiness in this this is one of his most <laughs> gross films <laughs> like it yeah it really well, is I mean, you say that but I, it's funny because i'll i'll probably rewatch the thing during this carpenter run I, the thing's pretty you, nasty you should and the thing is grosser than prince of darkness I, that's why i said one of but like yes okay, no, but, okay. but yes the thing is grosser than prince of darkness yeah is that a fair summary is it there any glaring no, um, no, I think that that was pretty fairly assessed. Uh, the yeah, the the ooze is a physical representation. It is the essence of Satan, as you will. <laughs> you gotta. Th- there's no real other place. This is didactic, but there's no real other place to to mention this. Sure, uh, you, you got to give a big asterisk to the theological what when they're just like, and Jesus was an alien who came to warn us about that. And I was like, what you know, the? what's really funny is I heard that and I was like, wait, did I just hear that? Because I tend <laughs> yeah. to get real sleepy in these movies. <laughs> but um. yes, it's just like, oh, okay, what? You know, what, what did you just say? So Maybe you gotta, whatever. Yeah, we you got to give go. a big. Uh, you got to give a big pass to that. But uh, but yes, the 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 essentials are. Do you read? Do you? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a that's that. Um, no, good summary. I liked it. Um, okay, I'll come back to this. Uh, oh, read, read, mm-hmm. read. I'm mm-hmm. feeling a bit of deja vu because we just did the patron segment, but <laughs> it is time once more for that part of the fear of God conversation where we talk about not just things that are wrong, lackey, but especially in this film, things of which it might be said. That ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. It ain't right. It ain't right. There's so much you go first. There's so much in this movie. As I scan my massive list here. I can't. I got three things and I don't even know which one of them to mention. Okay. So, all right. I'll, I'll do this. Look, there's so much nasty, but freaking all the green sludge squirting, like laser tag, (laughs) (laughs) like all the little, like, when that green sludge. You so nasty. Just like. Why you gotta be so nasty, Reed? (laughs) 
Because I'm, I'm a nasty, nasty mother. mother. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's like when the green sludge like targets a person and aims for their uh-huh. mouth, and it's just uh-huh. like it's just, uh-huh. and it's all just like, oh my god, like uh-huh. it brought back vibes, but not in the fun way of like you can't do that on television, <laughs> where like slime would come down. I'm I like, don't know where you were going. <laughs> it reminded me, but not in the cool way of when. But I was I... just like, man, all the slime and the sludge just going everywhere. I'm just like, man, I don't know what that was. Maybe it was just like some green food color and kool-aid or something but i'm just like oh my god it's so nasty it's so nasty every single time they're just like sludge projectile going into uh, no it's so it ain't right it ain't right it's so gross well (laughs) let me (laughs) i'll i'll tag two onto that to related to the 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 slimy spit you know the um just just but and then we'll do the best kills, and then we'll do some more that ain't rights because okay. there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of love <laughs> to share, and that yeah. that ain't right. That's true. But the two the two green sludge <laughs> tagons to the fact that it exists at all. One is, you know, so how how it even enters the story is the the devil goop is coalescing on the ceiling. Yeah, right. Yeah, what the hell is happening? Yeah, it floats. Yeah, of course it does. Yes, like mm-hmm. Dua Lipa is levitating. <laughs> <laughs> do a leap, do a leap. But, Who the heck? but I love. Do you catch the just running gag? I gotta believe this was intended as a jokey. Is Susan and everybody's like, "Where's Susan?" And everybody else is like, "Who?" It's like that happens yeah. like five yes. times. Like, yes, mm-hmm. poor Susan. You know, <laughs> she's like first to uh, get got. Oh, and she gets got. She gets got. Yeah. All right, yeah. But so Susan's down in the catacomb or the secret room, you know, whatever the the room of requirement. And she's just looking up at the secret of the ooze and it just like, you know, and just right, right right there, you know, in the kisser. So Mm -hmm. speaking of kissers later on, you know, (laughs) goo infected Susan Mm -hmm. encounters Mm -hmm. Calder Mm -hmm. and because they established this sort of method of transmission of just like, you know, just projectile vomiting. Yeah. Ness. And so that's, you're, you're kind of anticipating that. It's becoming a recurring thing. Well, old Calder gets real intimate with it. Mm, but Reed, mm-hmm. it's not just that they kiss. It is. Here's what. <laughs> here's John, John Carpenter's ace in the hole was his Foley artist. Damn. What? <laughs> I don't want to hear some gurgly nasty. She's kissing that man. It's just like. <laughs> you know, just this nasty, just soupy, just like Still you got the soupy. Nixon bowl going. <laughs> Don't say soupy. I like my soup. Don't just. It's just oh, it's soupy. It's nasty. It's just gurgling up in there. Oh my and it's, god! It ain't right. That that ain't right. Just that noise boiling like, over. Come. Yeah. Uh-uh. yeah. Don't want to hear uh-uh. that. I don't uh-uh. want to know how I they created my, it either. I threw my AirPods across the room. I said, "Nope, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, get out of here." So that's one. Be nasty. But the other, just like. What's funny about this movie is there are moments where you're like, this is nasty, but it's kind of hysterical, right? It's just, <laughs> right, it right. kind of threads that needle. And a few places more than when old Kelly is getting got by the oh, goo. Oh, my God. That's so disgusting. <laughs> it's so disgusting. <laughs> we'll come back to Kelly for our, for our formal, for more of that ain't rights. But Absolutely. When Kelly is getting gooped. It is a sight to behold. It oh is like, God. I don't. 
I, sh- I should have. I didn't. I didn't go look up. Like, how do they shoot some of this stuff? It's clearly in reverse. Oh my There's God. clearly something weird mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. with the the footage. Yeah. But this poor gal is just laying on this bed, and her eyes and her mouth and her just whole face is just getting cons- just saturated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. soupy goopy. <laughs> Uh, it ain't right. It ain't right. It ain't yeah. right. It ain't right. It ain't right. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of that. Ain't right. Reed. I got a question for you. So, okay. You know, it ain't a John Carpenter movie. If folks ain't dying in grisly, nasty ways. Um, true. There are, although what's funny is everybody kind of comes back in this movie. So I kind of, <laughs> well, it's literally like a baker's dozen of just fodder of people. It's literally like 13. <laughs> well, what's so funny about you saying that is when scientists. I started watching the movie, I was like, okay, what's the story here? What's going on? Oh, okay. There's a bunch of people showing up. They're all dead. You know, like that's, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, yep, yep. that's what they hear they for. Now they're going to be. So, so I'm curious to you read, there's a number of pretty, pretty cool kills in this movie there are um there are what would you say is like favorite is a strong word oh but, like if you were like oh, what man. is the worst way to go who oh. would you okay pick that's a really hard choice that's a really <laughs> really hard choice but here's what i thought of when you asked me that question very first i think his name is frank i didn't write down all of these guys names because to be honest i don't know that they gave us all of the names if they gave them it was literally in that one scene where like five people meet each other hi i'm this i am this i'm this and i felt like i showed oh, up yeah, to the party yeah. and somebody yeah. was just waiting to say there'll be a quiz later on all these people you don't know but then they never said the name again but i think his name is frank he was the blonde mullety guy and uh not you know he was outside of the church when everybody's yeah. arguing okay well and, we're both we're both Picking the same person. I called him Kaka Miami Vice. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I called him. <laughs> he's just Kaka Miami Vice. He's like, he's like the poor man's Miami Vice. He's like, he, yeah. he auditioned for that well, role. Well, no, Kaka is because he says that. That's like his line or something. Uh, yes, he does. Uh, yeah, because he's like, he goes out of his way to not curse. He's yes. like, this is Kaka. This is so Kaka. It's so nonsense. Well, then, he, then, he get, then one lingers like, Kaka. that was the one that did it if he hadn't said that one yeah then just whatever um but the freaking well first of all the setup for the kill is great because wide shot woman running into frame something about to happen you know like that that was a great shot it's just like the wide shot with the woman running in but then when he why like he dies right before he dies if I was going to mention another that ain't right, freaking all the creepy crawlies, like all the creepy crawlies. You got all the freaking maggots and roaches and ants and, and flies and worms uh-uh. and beetles, maggot, beetles. Uh-uh. maggot beetles and just beetle juice, like, beetle juice, beetle uh-uh. juice. No, like the first time you see him is on the back of the TV screen. Anyway, I'm talking about worst kill. This man is freaking like all of them just on him. All of them are just on him. And then while he's dealing with all of that, then... This this woman just running in and she's got this knife and just proceeds to just continue. That wasn't a knife. That was like scissors. It was or, like, yeah, it was like clippers a, or something. This like, is like a, a lesson on not running with scissors. Like, <laughs> but you always sure. thought it was because you'd stab yourself, but it's really because no, you go stab somebody <laughs> you else. Stab somebody else. But no, and then she just starts like keeps burying it in there. But on top of all these beetles and roaches and whatever all these things it's so gross it's so disgusting that's that's my worst one just because of like man the guy had to deal with that and then get stabbed multiple times while he's in that he can't even like and doesn't he like 
get consumed by them? Doesn't he like fade away well, into them? Well, I'll, and just... well I'll, I'll, so I'll piggyback on where you're at because because I would have picked Kaka Miami Vice as my favorite, not favorite, worst kill because yeah, then because yeah. he does he dies again. <laughs> that again. You know you're. You know you're... <laughs> Kaka done died again. You know you're in a John Carpenter movie when you die twice. Um, (laughs) Because late in the movie, they hear his like auto tune voice barking at him from the parking lot. That's right. I don't remember what he's saying, but it's like, I'm dead. I'm dead. You know. (laughs) And they look out the window, and boo. Uh -uh. I just, I'm getting. too much it can't go on but first uh, first uh, i gotta go on first i think his hand falls off something i don't some oh. appendage gets <laughs> dolloped off it's just oh like blow, you know because there's creepy crawlies going all over him all up oh. in him all over him <laughs> all and, through me they're well, running all through me <laughs> Oh man! I love That's how much classic. Beetlejuice is getting needle dropped in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, then it's just like his head just falls off. <laughs> it just collapses like, in on itself. Uh like, oh, <laughs> we're done now. <laughs> he, he gone. <laughs> well, yes, but that's when he just kind of like the rapture happens, and his clothes just kind of melt to the floor in a pile rapture. of dung beetles. Yeah, the slow you beetle know. rapture. Is it just like you know, oh, fades God, that's down? Nasty. So gross. Oh, so God, yes, that so would gross. be my top death uh, redux. There, there's more that ain't rights here. Let's keep going. What else mm. you got? Oh man. Well, the, uh, okay. So we mentioned her. I got to listen. Old freaking Kelly, mm-hmm. like like pustule infested <laughs> vessel of Satan. Yeah. Kelly, like that face. Oh my God, how'd that woman have all that stuff on her face? It's just like pizza face. Like there's just there's it's, all, it's like it's all runny and it's all like not uh, the, it's not in the right place and it moves from thing to thing. But then like freaking okay, first of all, the whole her looking in the mirror and then being like father, I was like uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. So funny story. And then what? <laughs> well, yeah, but funny story, not so funny story is a freaking like first time I tried to watch this movie. Power went out right in the middle of that. Like, uh-huh. freaking, yep. like, it's one thing to be watching a movie late at night and then suddenly, like, all your power goes Turn out. Turn the lights on. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but all the power went off right in the middle of, like, pustule infested Kelly mm-hmm. in the mirror talking about father. So, yeah, like, that that ain't right. And then, I mean, there's so much to tell. You could just cite every single scene. But the, the, the thing where old priesty Donald Pleasance comes in and he, like, lobs off her arm. Nope, don't work. She, I'm a starfish. It, it grows right back. And then he lobs off her head, and she's like, that was cute. Watch this. And then, like, pulls her she's head. Like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'll be okay. It's a flesh wound. And then she just puts it right back on ooh, top that of her tickled. neck. Like, ooh, yeah. ooh. Oh, my God. But, and then the, all, the, all the while, that heals, of course. Like, her arms grow back. She can reattach her head, but somehow, like, please call a dermatologist because, like, her whole face, every part Mm -mm. of her skin Mm -mm. is just, like, hyper-burned. It's just, oh, oh, my God. Kelly nasty. Kelly so nasty. So, (laughs) so gross. (laughs) So gross. Every scene she's in, man. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, 
Oh, Kelly, being flooded with green fluid while sleeping. That ain't right. And eyes and mouth in torrents. Torrents, not Jack Torrents. T-O-R-R-E-N-T-S. Ew. Mm-hmm. Ew. Mm-hmm. Kelly mm-hmm. is preggers-ish. Now she's withered. Now decaying. Now molting. Oh, my Kelly God. being disarmed, then decapitated, and just being like, nah. Regrowing <laughs> her arm, reattaching her head. I'm good. Uh-uh. Oh, man. That was rough. It's that so awful. was rough. And, and that's the thing. Like, There's a lot of really horrid. I, I would say that the thing is still grosser, but Prince of Darkness is probably second. And, and Carpenter's like well, just things, for nasty. The things like monsters are what elevates it a little mm-hmm. above this. Mm-hmm. Like this has gross factor for days. Um, yes. For just a weekend. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. um, uh, the thing is it's, it's monsters or what kind of oh, nasty man. it up. My God. But it's just, yeah. This, yeah. Any more of that? So, you have to cite? No. I mean, just all of it. Oh my God. It's also gross. That man cutting his own throat. That ain't right. And then he's just laughing the whole time. They've beaten that woman as she was. I mean, I get that she's a threat, but like that woman crawling through the hole and then like when she, I when love Lisa's just how obviously those weren't bricks. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> no, I'm just hitting her with some sponges, some no car wash sponges. <laughs> car wash sponges. Like, I don't know why these aren't working. <laughs> just hit her with it. But that scene goes on forever. Like, th- this, I don't know why we just keep it. It would have worked better if it would have actually have worked and her still come on, right? Like, that's, yeah, that yeah, would have yeah, been yeah. nasty. Like, yeah, bloody, yeah, nasty, yeah. gory. But, um, uh-huh. but, I guess as my final, that ain't right. And then we can take it out is like, I don't know if the eighties were just a weird time. I wasn't of age in the eighties, but John Carpenter loves his like casual sex between strangers. He does. Strangers. (laughs) I loved wrote funny in all caps. When I I like O'Brien by the end of it Mm is a good fella, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) He says, I was hoping you'd have a cup of coffee with me again. They're just in the in the quad. They're out on the quad. They're hanging. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh-huh. Two uh-huh. grad students just finding each other. Meet cute. Sure. And the uh, apocalyptic devil tale. <laughs> I was hoping you'd come. And I was hoping you'd have a cup of coffee with me again. She says, this is starting to become a habit. The literal next shot. Oh, yeah. Is the morning after them in bed. They naked. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Cup of coffee. Got it. <laughs> like a, he's like winking uproariously off screen. Want a cup of coffee? Want a cup of coffee? Like his his hand won't stop twitching. She's just like, oh, you want a, you want a cup? You want a latte? Latte or a mocha? She's like, oh, let's do it all. Let's do it all. There you from a cup of coffee? Is there a euphemism? Would you care for? Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> that ain't right. Plus. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. He's <laughs> just not going there. Oh my god. <laughs> no. Oh Lord. That has been that has oh. been another installment of That Ain't Right. That sure as hell ain't right. It ain't. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, I got your prince All of darkness. Right. Um Yeah. So I said early I said when we opened this up, this is actually not necessarily leading to theme. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I said when I opened this up, like I find the premise of this to be among one of the most exciting premises of any John Carpenter film. You've got malevolent, mysterious, spiritual, metaphysical ooze, and we are going to explore the religious and spiritual ramifications of these things in very tangible scientific terms. That's a very exciting premise, like the concept of there being a trackable, observable element to evil the way you can study atoms and cells and and things like that. Like, that's fascinating to me. And I feel like they spend the first 40 minutes of this movie really setting that up where it's just like, oh, yeah, we're going to study. These are some of the most brilliant minds that we have to offer to this kind of problem. And okay, well, we're going to get in, we're going to roll up our sleeves and spend the weekend figuring this out. But like once the ooze starts doing its thing, pretty much halfway through it, and again, it's a horror film, so okay, but about halfway through it, pretty much all of that gets abandoned, and it's more just like, yep, here, here, here come the Prince of Darkness. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just gonna, it's just gonna go right losing all it. over the place. Yep. So, ooh, no, 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 mm. uh-uh, uh-uh, no. Um, so I just feel like, no, I, yeah. Anyway, I think that's I think that's fair, and it's funny, you know my my initial viewing was pretty generous, but I do think, you know, it's with credits. I think like an hour forty. Yeah, and I could like see a world where I watched it once, mm-hmm. um, but I did make it through in one sitting, and I did not fall asleep, oh. and it was daylight, so that's a thing. Wow. Um, so it's possible I may be misremembering content that might be there, but to your point in between the setup mm-hmm. and bedlam beginning, I could see a world where it would have been interesting to have another 10 minutes of actual engagement and dialogue and right, like right. wrestling and sort of, because one thing I do like about the movie that seems to be, an intention maybe Mm, mm -hmm. is science and faith working in tandem. Yes. Um, Which you don't see very often. Usually they're in conflict, but they're, they're combined in this agreed. Yeah. Right. Read. That's what I was. I just am affirming. Um, (laughs) And so it could have been interesting to see either a little bit of not conflict as in opposition, but as in just, refining like what are we dealing with like let, let's i don't know I, i'm with you maybe there's you know stuff left on the field um that could have been incorporated to to because i think it's a thoughtful film here here's a question that came to me last week that is now resurfacing in this moment is there are times when someone might say nathan do you even like john carpenter that you're mishearing what i'm asking but is John Carpenter a smart director or a good director or both? Right? Like, hmm. if that makes any sense at all. In other words, I think there is something thoughtful happening here. Mm-hmm. Thus, I think there's something smart under the surface at work. Yeah. 
which means, okay, thoughtfulness, you know, kind of mindfulness towards uh, uh, underneath all the ooze, the subject matter you're trying to explore, but would quote unquote, the good director, which again, I'm not stating he's not, um, have dove in a little harder to some of those thematic ideas that this mm. movie just hands to you. Yeah. It's very construction. I don't know. I don't know. It's- I think, I mean, one of the, I, I do think Carpenter is very smart and I think he's very good, but I think one thing that I would say overall is that I think he's a very instinctive director and I think his instincts, pure talent and a study of some craft, his instincts are honed quite well. But in that, in that way that sometimes instincts can betray you, I will say this. In a world, some multiverse, universe, whatever, where the thing had been received differently by audiences, because the thing has been called, unironically and by multiple outlets, a perfect horror film. Hmm. Now, you know, maybe not the perfect horror film, but just like it is a horror film that does so many things right, so many fundamental things right. And when it was released, the venom, we've talked about this before, the venom that the audience spewed against that film was mountainous, (laughs) basically. And it's because E.T. had just came out and audiences wanted their aliens warm and cuddly and phoning home, and they did not want the thing. And ever since then, and Carpenter has even said this, that he, he has alluded to the fact that he was not the same director after doing what he considered at the time to be some of his strongest work and it being received the way it was. And so why I come back to your question of smart director, good director, everything, I want to see how some of these films would have been and what they would have been in a world where the thing had not been received as poorly as it was. Because his instincts are clearly so on point and they are clearly so strong. He was never as strong again as he was with the thing. And I do wonder if some of these very big ideas explored in very pretty bold ways, if he would have had the confidence to maximize them to their potential the way that he did with sure. the thing, if he had not been so thrown off. He's, he has said this, that some version of it still sits with him all these many years later, that he, he's appreciative of the thing being called so – of it finding resurgence now, but at the time – it lo- it cost him jobs. He was slated to do to direct Firestarter with Universal, and Universal fired him because of the thing. And so, like, it really upended a lot of things. And I do wonder what films like Prince of Darkness would have been had audiences received the thing better uh, at the time. Yeah, because like something like Prince of Darkness, and I can see that where perhaps a a confidence shaking that happened kind of vocationally can can kind of you know, hamper a little bit. And mm-hmm. cause like with Prince of darkness, it's like there is in sight, quote unquote, there we're almost there. And mm-hmm. then came the source awards. <laughs> <laughs> and knocked him right off the mat. <laughs> knocked us oh right off the man. Mat. Mm, oh man. I but- love the Chris rock jokey. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and, and and to be fair, so that it's super clear, I'm not stating, I don't think he's a good director. I'm just trying to, right. as you know, um, I would say 2016, Nathan, absorbing those Carpenter films for the first time, didn't quite have a handle on what I was engaging or getting into or 
the regret I would feel five years later for all of this. Um, but <laughs> so I'm approaching these with a bit more, with a bit uh, more of a refined eye uh, towards all of it, uh, yeah. the genre itself. And so just trying to, trying to wrestle through what are clearly competent and smartly made pieces mm-hmm. that still have an interesting kind of flavor to them. Um, well, and I think by and large, it will be interesting to see, I, I, maybe this is wishful thinking. Uh, and then we can dive right back into Prince of Darkness uh, on the whole, but for you, Nathan, I would be curious how you would receive, because when we watched the fog and they live to your point, like we hadn't been doing fear of God the way we've been doing it every single week for, you know, almost six years now. And I do wonder if you might see the fog or like you might rewatch the fog or rewatch they live and you might be even more critical than before, uh, towards certain things that you have a memory for not really caring for. Or I do wonder if now a little bit more exposure, because honestly I was prepared for you to not, have had a very generous or fond feeling of Prince of Darkness because I consider both The Fog and They Live to be relatively stronger films than Prince of Darkness. And so I I was kind of braced for, yeah, he's probably not going to respond very strongly to this. And it's intriguing me as a thought experiment to see, like, I wonder if you would respond more strongly revisiting them uh, as now. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you would. Well, no. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure I'll have the time for all that. But, I mean, They Live is... is kind of hard satire right i mean and 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 mm. in places um, yes mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's quite a fight scene five minute fight scene <laughs> right 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 <laughs> it don't that, stop that, that i don't i don't even know if i it's so weird part of me is like totally disappointed in adult me who can't like indulge mm-hmm. something quite so absurd sure yeah, yeah, yeah. um but I, I would be curious um to re-engage those uh you know, I do, maybe this will get us to theme and I want to put a kind of a general button or open the door to theme. I think part of my, at least mild affection for Prince of Darkness and what points me to definitively smart director and, you know, not even dismissing as good director, but definitively smart is I called the end mm. right as it was mm. about to happen. And I was like, man, if he does this, okay, cool. He did it. You know, like it just really rung out to me like, okay, you know, the ideas you're playing with Mm -hmm. and how to well execute them. Right. Uh, Because, you know, if you're not going to watch this movie, you know, it is pretty grisly is even the wrong word. It's, it's almost comedically uh, uh, grotesque, but um, part of what starts to happen is the character's, when because they're spending a lot of isolated time together in a short span of time they're trying not to sleep when they doze off if they doze off they're having these dreams these shared dreams of this transmitted vision of the church they're occupying's door open and so it's like the the camera frame is is from the street seeing this door it's back this shrouded figure backlit in the door frame and it's read references earlier as did i the 1999 thing they're it's like, hey, because the film was made in 87, I think it's yeah. saying, hey, in 1999, we're transmitting from the future, the devil, blah, blah, blah. It's it's this apocalyptic religious kind of language. And um, if it's OK, I'll, I'll kind of explicate the yeah. end and then we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved. So not even the very, very end. Mm-hmm. I loved the 
visual of the behind the mirror shot. I was like, oh, that, that was really great. Yes. Powerful and effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, shoot, I don't even know her name, but Catherine. the redhead who, who mm-hmm. has the cup of coffee, Catherine, mm-hmm. coffee, Catherine, coffee with Catherine. <laughs> oh, coffee, um, Catherine. <laughs> she, 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 um, she, she has sort of a Sophie's choice moment at the end of the movie where she's torn between saving the love interest and, and, you know, uh, curtailing the efforts of Kelly who has been possessed of the devil Mm -hmm. liquid. And, and so (laughs) she, she, you know, uh, uh, devil Kelly is calling to her father, the devil through the mirror. Um, uh, what's what what was it? Catherine. She, she decides she makes a game time call. She tackles Kelly through the mirror. The mirror shatters after Loomis throws the hammer, the, the uh, Mjolnir at it. And, (laughs) um, (laughs) and the mirror shattered. Catherine is now stuck in the upside down, but the devil is now not coming through. Right. So one just really pretty effective climax there, right? Like, okay, that's cool. Um, because you are right before it. Kelly is, uh, how Holt is holding the hand, a cloven hand, uh, mm-hmm. of, you know, black Philip himself <clears throat> and starting, starting to, you know, enter into our world and bring him forth. So, yeah. so yeah, so pretty, pretty effective climactic scene, pretty effective visual. Well, then that kind of present event resolves. And I can't remember if there's a, a actual, you know, kind of a title card on screen of X days later or whatever. I can't remember if that happens, but Brian has a dream, Mm -hmm. the dream footage resumes, right? But now in place of the shrouded figure, it is clearly Catherine. So this Mm -hmm. cycle is not broken, right? Right. Their, their intention to break the cycle is now just altered, but continuous. Mm -hmm. And so then he wakes up from this dream and sees the mirror in his room walks over to the mirror, reaches out to the mirror and before touching it or not, because had he touched it and it been liquefied is the signal, the visual signal that, right. Oh, he is going to summon her forth. So before his actual hand can touch the actual glass, we cut to credits and I was just really kind of impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe we, we bring in some, in the mouth of madness kind of thematics here, or at least what seem to be through lines of agency discernment. But what's interesting about this instance is, and, and, you know, I, I would love to hear your take, but the, he is perhaps corrupted individually mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. by that pull. Now, mm-hmm. does the movie do a fantastic job of establishing the relationship? Actually, I actually think it does a fair job. It's, it's not, yeah. you know, perfect characterization but um does a a pretty decent job and so it's clear that pull is still there you know that corrupting influence is still active Mm um so no i I was really impressed with the finale yeah um, of the film i think Catherine, as a character is consistently shown to be a stronger character than the typical sort of demure um alluring uh presence that a, uh, it would be tempting to put a girl like that yes uh they they become intimate after you know in invitation for a cup of coffee um but then like the way that they are 
interacting and that first moment when they're at the uh on the bench and she doesn't like the the comment he's made and right. she sort of shuts things down for a minute now they reconnect relatively quickly but she shuts things down for a minute uh, uh post coital she you know exerts a bit of don't do what you're about to do you know and and so i do find it uh interesting that he i don't remember what the scripting is there but i really love that scripting right there when he's basically mm-hmm. building to and i love you and she tells yeah. him not to and she, and she stops to. it yeah right yeah. right yeah exactly um and so i think that sets the stage to the point that you're that, that you're kind of pointing to that sets the stage that he is going to have a kind of a draw towards what are the prospects and possibilities here especially now that the now that he has seen a dream where she emerges uh in any form and then i think by him reaching out to the mirror i think the point that it is trying to make is he going to be the vessel through is he going to be the new kelly to summon you know the vessel forth in some other way i don't know you know like you can draw your own conclusions from that but i think we are intended to say or to see that he is uh not whole by his experiences here and will in some way engage in uh what's to come in you know 12 years later 1999 from the perspective of the film um i, I do think we're meant to draw Tonight, that they're gonna party like it's 1999 oh man isn't it interesting that in 87 they were already looking at well and you know they weren't the only ones but like in the 80s they were already looking to like the dawn of the new millennium you know like prince the prince song films like this pointing to 1999 is like oh that's going to be the hinge point that's going to be the you know the turn of the century is going to be when all they're the crazy like, madness happen. yeah <laughs> they're already thinking it but um i do i do feel like the other thing is that the professor Byrick, i think is how you say his last name but um that's the character's last name played by Victor Wong when when he's talking about the antiparticle where he's talking about like there's a there's an anti kind of um essence as it were i i just find really compelling the idea that uh, the concept that evil could be a metaphysical kind of thing that it's like it could be in the substance of uh of some atoms or that it could be a thing sure. an essence an element i i just i found that really compelling and to talk about the the concepts of spirituality in very scientific terms i just found that really fascinating kind of ahead of its time i don't know of anything else in the 80s that was willing to engage that dialogue that directly um which i think is pretty is pretty interesting and then to the notion that it being a they didn't succeed in observing it and didn't succeed in actually you know, learning very much about it, but establishing it as a natural phenomenon. So it it takes what would be otherwise deemed supernatural and makes it preternatural. That it's that it moves from a thing which cannot be understood in natural terms to a thing which we just simply don't have the terms yet to define it. Uh, in the same way, germs were once just a theory, and then now we have language around germs and know what to do and know how germs behave and everything. Um, I just found that really, really interesting that the concept of evil could potentially be measured, could be studied, could be observed, and that it has a certain degree of uh, functionality in the natural world. I just found that really compelling for a number of different ways. I don't, I don't have much more to say about that specific element. I just, I just found that fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I agree. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's interesting to me. I think the more I'm pondering Carpenter's catalog. Hey. Um, the easier it's becoming to see now little China. I mean, it's, it's, I have seen it, but it's been a minute and I would not have been looking for themes and it is pretty wackadoo. Um, <laughs> I think you'll have more fun with I, it this time. And I haven't seen New York, but, uh, of the things we've covered, mm-hmm. this individual against institutional corruption mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. pretty prevalent in his work. Um, by intention. And to, your, yeah. and to your point, you know, they live maybe the most manifest version of that. But, you know, like in this case, while I would say there's a, there's a thread of science and faith working together, I honestly think that might be my desire for generosity here, which is to say, there's also a world where you could say the institutional church of the film Mm, mm -hmm. is the, is the cause of the, dilemma they're in you know and yeah and so you know the the academic is trying to rationalize and or push back but all that dials into purely just the brian character who's your protagonist mm-hmm. um to, uh, what i'm trying to affirm is your notion of hey it's kind of interesting that he materializes evil mm-hmm. um even though i would say it just goes even more granular in this one than what it does more institutionally in other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. And I, I mean, you're spot on with it. It's hard to miss, but I still, uh, pat you on the back for the idea of the following the through line of <laughs> you are half smart, Nathan. No, 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 no. You're, you're quite smart. I'm just, <laughs> I, uh, it, it's not entirely subtle. The anti-institutionalism in the work of John Carpenter. It is pretty there. Yeah. Um, but you having seen more of his films now picking up on that as like, no, that's a pretty common recurrence is the individual against the institution and why that's key in a film like Prince of Darkness is John Carpenter himself, uh, expressed agnosticism, but has cited multiple times that religion plays a factor in his work that he is fascinated by religion. And I think if he's antagonistic towards this one, absolutely. Um, and I think if he's in, obviously it's, hubris to speak for him but from what i've gleaned from interviews is that he finds faith compelling and institutionalized religion poisonous that's generally seems to be his modus operandi and that but do he, you see that in this movie i do <laughs> right oh absolutely yeah totally, of course it's, it's totally kidding very very obvious that it's you know that notion of yeah there can be a sort of a, a individualized rising in faith uh, that that could emerge, that could be compelling, and that could defeat, uh, albeit perhaps temporarily, because his his films, on the whole, his horror films end bleakly, most of them. Even a film like Halloween, where Michael Myers is shot off the balcony, ends with he's gone and his breathing, and he's still out right. there. You know, like they always tend to end with some sort of this is not done. You <laughs> know, you know, like you've stopped right. it for the day. But it's not done, um, and uh, and his films tend to end with that sentiment, as it were. Um, and I think the the common theme that I find in Prince of Darkness and that I find in so many others of his work is 
it really comes down to us and the choice we're going to have to make for whether or not we are going to call out the 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 wickedness, evil, whatever word you want to give to it, for what it is. Are we going to call that out, or are we going to call it forth? And I think that's, to your note that you made about Brian at the end with the mirror, I mean, that shows up in lots of other places in Carpenter's films, uh, where there is a certain choice that a character has to make, uh, and I'm not trying to be too cheeky, it just sort of emerged as I was thinking out loud, sure. but you're either going to call it out or you're going to call it forth. You're either going to cite it and say, hey, you're wrong, or you are going to be an agent that helps facilitate it and and its propagation in the world. And that I find incredibly compelling because I think Carpenter, from what I see in his work, is not necessarily a pessimist, but I think he has a pretty suspicious eye towards institutions and a pretty suspicious eye towards anything that's organized well and you know like to that. your point you know again i'm freshly with madness and this and then uh you know memory on the others but to your point of him being a pessimist or not like he does kind of paint the picture that survival is possible right like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which would lead me to think you know it's not pure nihilism right right all, all things will be consumed remind me spoiler alert apologies listeners how does the thing end in in one of my favorite ends in any horror film it ends with uh the two surviving characters at a stalemate neither one of them knowing if the other is a thing so right. they are they are at bay in a stalemate both of them not really signaling to us, the audience, whether one of them is human or well, not. Man, it's kind of interesting because what you just described further articulated this this kind of thought and, and reflecting on madness and now um, Prince that his, I didn't mean to what seems so clearly identify a strong thread of his work as I did last week when I said it seems like one of his, one of the things he's interested in is interested in is personal agency, right? Right. Like, right. Yeah. Your ability to choose well seems pretty paramount to yeah. the John Carpenter, you know, philosophical matrix. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that's, and maybe that's part of why I resonate so strongly with his films because that is that is pretty consistent in everything you know you can find it in small ways in Halloween and and I know you haven't seen it but very very present in an overt way in in a film like Assault on Precinct 13 um and uh, and yeah it, it's it's the the power of an individual to choose well is at the crux of so many of his explorations and um and yeah, I, and I think that's something that we don't, it's easy to say this, but I think we don't often give our own power of choice enough consideration. When I say that, I mean like we may, I'll say it this way, and maybe this is a bit too glib and dismissive. There are a lot of people spending, oh, forgive me, sorry, I'm just going to say it. 
there are a lot of people spending a lot of time right now trying to, in different ways, fight for their uh, right to be able to do what they want to do or to have what they want to have or to be who they want to be and not enough time spent by those same people on finding out what the end game is. In other words, uh, there's a lot of conversation and vehemence and passion and rising like, oh, we got to be the thing. And I'll be a little bit clear with some examples so that listeners don't hear what I'm not saying. But to, to, I think we spend too much time uh, fighting for and demanding and insisting upon access to our own ability and agency and not as much time on what we are going to do with our agency, if that, if, if that statement in itself makes sense. Because, and, and, and depending on whatever political or social framework people come from, they could think, oh, well, he's talking about the issue of gun ownership rights. Oh, he's talking about the issue of reproductive rights. Oh, he's talking about the issue of uh, masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines. Like, depending on wherever you're coming from, you could hear what I just said as antagonistic towards your perspective or advocacy for your perspective. What I am very, very deliberately trying to say is we need to spend as much time and effort and intention on what we are going to do with our agency as we spend fighting for our agency. So I'm not saying don't fight for agency, certainly not saying that, but I'm saying a lot of people will rail and lash and say, like, I I should have the freedom to do what I want. And then they've given almost no time to, well, what are you going to do if you if you obtain the freedom to do what you want? Like, what will you do with that? Will you try to produce something good in the world? Will you try to help somebody? Will you try to uh, bear the burden of another? Will you try to make their plight easier? Or will it be, you know, or, or like something that you just reproduce for yourself and just hoard your own acquisitions and hoard your own uh, things that you've obtained because you fought for the right to obtain them or whatever. Uh, Again, maybe clumsily, but the point that I'm trying to make is we have the power to choose well, and I feel like we spend too much time uh, fighting to hold on to that power and not enough consideration to what we will do with that power. Bringing it back to Prince of Darkness, and then I'd be curious to hear your thoughts or your response, but bringing it back to Prince of Darkness for a second, they want to know what this is, this green ooze. They want to study it. They want to observe it, but they are completely out of their depth with what to do with it once they observe anything. And some of that's not their fault because they didn't go into this knowing exactly what they were dealing with, but uh, they're completely out of their depth for what they are going to do once they land on an observation or once they finally reach the point to where they understand what they're dealing with. And I feel like that's a very, very common experience for so many of us. Well, I, I, I really want to, to have the ability to do this thing. Okay, well, what are you going to do with that? I'm not saying you shouldn't have the ability to do that thing, but what are you going to do with that? How are you going to leverage your power of agency to manifest something in the world? Is it just going to be for yourself or is it going to be for other people? Is it going to be something that you just use to fuel your own desires and empire or are you going to then take the next step and and use that agency to benefit others? How are you going to do that? Well, let me ask you this. This is just, you know, I don't know how closely this will hew to the movie at this point or not, but, um, you know, veering perhaps into things we would 
you and I would chat about just on the phone and in general, but, um, had an interesting conversation with my wife recently. So, you know, perhaps unsurprising to you, but I, I think a lot about things like, I don't know, grad school and just further Mm. kind of Mm. personal academic educational enrichment and, you know, wrestling with were that to be pursued, what would that be? And I feel like these days we're in currently have galvanized that even more. And, and it's interesting because my wife and I had a conversation about that recently and, you know, she was kindly, not, uh, demandingly, um, kind of probing, okay, well, what's the end goal? And I said, I I don't know, Mm, but mm, interesting. I'm feeling the weight of need, uh, need might be a strong word, but I'm, I'm, as I currently experience it, I'm feeling the weight of a need to mature, to grow, to, you know, that, that, that perhaps in that maturity and growth, a better capacity to love well can be manifest and kind of through that conversation, you know, the idea of, because, you know, you and I are in similar life phases and blah, 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 you know, stuff like that doesn't come without literal price tags and, and right. Sure. That yeah. might be dollars that, but that is definitely time. And, and, um, you know, part of that conversation that I felt kind of emboldened by was just this permission to like not feel a need that that pursuit had to match a certain outcome. Right. And so when you, I'm not rebuffing what you're saying, it's just making me think that though, that like, cause what, what I heard in what Mm -hmm. you were saying was what is the outcome versus, you know, what, might better be put what is the journey and that that journey matters Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. perhaps more than the outcome. But so I don't know. I I don't know. I'm kind of playing with that notion. I I hear that. And I'm, uh, I'm sensitive to how it might've sounded not just to you, but to, to other listeners as well. One thing that I would say is a key distinction to the negative thing I'm describing versus what you were just saying is Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to have the five and the 10 and the 15 year plan mapped out, but I think we need to have a conviction of the spirit that knows what we will do when we achieve a thing. And I feel like, for instance, um, I may know, Hey, I want to learn more about, um, I'll take a subject that has been on my heart and mind, uh, for a while now and, and is probably going to be for some time to come. It has been a central uh, consideration of mine to learn more about what is Christianity without colonialism. So looking at the ways in which reading texts from indigenous people, reading texts from uh, the black community on what mm-hmm. you know faith culture is like, in light of slavery and in light of all of these things. And, and so I want to um, learn as much as possible about what is Christianity manifest outside of the trappings of the insulated window that I have. Now, mirroring a little bit to what you were describing, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. I don't, I don't right. know what I'm going to do with that. 
I don't know if I'm going to write a book. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, start a poem group. I don't know if I'm just going to, but you, but you said it, you said it and you said the bullseye in an interest to maturing and learning better how to love well the people around me. That is what I want to do. Yeah. And, and that, as I would say, as encouragement to you, that's you owning your agency. Say, this is what I will do with it. Now, don't ask me what the, the actual tangibles are. Don't ask me what the practicals right. are, but this is what I will do with it. So anything. Don't that, ask me to make the economics work, but sure. Right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. But, when, <laughs> but when this comes to the thing, I know this is, you know, maybe to your word, the outcome versus the journey. This is the journey that I'm on. This is the direction in which I'm headed is right. a tangible, active effort. What I was describing as a detriment is I think more people advocate for their ability to do whatever without answering yep. that first part about agency about well i should have the right to do this thing because i want to do it okay but what are you going to do with it like i don't need to know that you're going to start a plan or you're going to move to this city or you're going to i don't need to know all of that in fact you don't even need to know all of that but i need to know what's your intention behind this what's your end game what are you maybe end game's not the right word because that you know implies it's a great like, movie it is a great movie but uh, you know but i do think for any listeners who might be like you know, well, I'm a little thrown off by any of that. I would offer what I hope is an encouragement to say, like, no, once you know this is why I'm doing a thing, there is no reason, Nathan, for me to perpetually seek out books about that subject and learn more about that subject and read essays by people on that subject. There's no reason for me to do that that is tangible and practical to say, I will start a foundation to aid blah, blah, blah. I, I, I don't have that. I don't know that. But I know that the effort to learn more about that subject will aid me in loving my neighbors better than I love them now and in practical and tangible ways. And that, I feel, is me saying I, I want to study these things and I want to pursue these things because I want to learn how to better love my neighbors in that sense. And I feel like a lot of people are just, well, no, uh, because it's easy to pick on, I will use the mask thing that came up. Well, uh, I shouldn't be told that I have to wear and because it feels like such an innocuous thing now. Given ba- where yes. we've come, it's yeah, like yeah, oh, basically yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's pick another stupid thing that people thought about. So I should just have the right not to wear one, you know, or or you know whatever it is, and just I'm just going to fight for the and and fight vigorously for the right not to wear one. And all I would ask is why, why? Because right. you don't want to be told what to do, or. You know, like, like what is, what is the reason behind what you're fighting for? And how does that play in to how you are going to move through the world and how you're going to navigate through the world? And it can, and, and look, the answer may be, I'm going to do it because I don't believe anybody should tell another person what to do. Okay. That's going to fall apart eventually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, and quickly. That, and yes. quickly. That logic is going to fall apart. But if that's your conviction of your spirit, then that's your, that's the direction in which you are headed. And it is my hypothesis that people spend more time uh, fighting vigorously for the opportunity or the option to do a thing and not enough time soulfully and prayerfully seeking, what will I do with that thing? And I don't know, and this I can't emphasize it enough, I'm not saying, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm not saying, what's the two-year game plan for this thing? I mean... Own your agency to say, like, whatever it looks like in the practical sense, this is why I am doing this thing. This is why I am pursuing this thing. 
is the conviction of the spirit that says, this is what I will do with it. And um, getting bringing it back a little bit to John Carpenter's work is, yeah, that is uh, a little bit like uh, the people in They Live, it's not the film we're talking about, but the people in They Live, like they fight that, uh, they fight against that thing because they recognize like if we are all uh, mindless, soulless beings at the behest of these subtle and 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 um, uh, subterranean influences, then we won't have our own agency anymore. We won't even know what we are intending to do to any means. And so they, they recognize the power of a person's ability to affect something because they are human and they are in the world and they have the ability to affect something. In Prince of Darkness, there's an actual you know, tangible and measurable thing that is literally robbing people of their, of their soul and spirit. Like it is taking them over. Uh, and, and literally they have no more power and no more control over whatever choice that they make. And, uh, and anyway, I just, maybe I'm stumbling, you know, for, for word salad, maybe just stumbling into too many other things. I feel like, um, it is, it is worth reminding ourselves not only to advocate and strive and fight for whatever opportunity or option we see before us that we feel we deserve, but also to give the time and the consideration and the prayer and the thought to, well, what will I do if I achieve it? What will I do if I obtain it? And, um, and, and how does that play into who I am and how I navigate the world? And uh, just give at least as much consideration to what you'll do with your agency as you do to the, the the vigor with which you defend your right to have your agency. If that makes sense. Hopefully it does. Hmm. Do you think that the, the institution can be, can be good? Hmm. I don't totally know how to ask what I'm thinking, but hmm. like, it just really feels like, Carpenter again, just in observing these last two films afresh, but pondering the others we've covered that there's a thread of the institution will ultimately corrupt. And it, it's not so much the lone wolf heroism that is the only thing that will be worthwhile, but, but maybe, um, cause even think about Halloween, it is kind of suburbanism itself that is the institution there. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. 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 Um, the suburban illusion. The yeah. that yes. Um, here's yeah. a, here's here's a, a random thought that came to me in the last day or so, and I know we need to wrap up. But have you seen any of the these headlines about the Uber stuff? No. Is this ringing a bell at all? No. So. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm in some, whistle, some whistleblower with Uber just released just like trove of internal documentation mm. that reveals a lot of like really, really tough, strong arming that the company kind of forced itself uh, uh, against the wishes of more thoughtful you know, kind of longstanding institutions and people uh, into markets and cities and major metropolitan areas kind of forced itself into these zones and um, specifically 
uh, although I'm sure there's more than this, but Emmanuel Macron is a, a bit got a little dirt on him because of some communications. But but he's not alone. You know these these high yeah, level yeah. high level politi- politicians. And this is going to sound stupid, and and I I kind of admit that with a heavy heart because I want I'm I can be such an idealist, but I had this feeling in listening to conversations about this, and and I do like. Macron, so that was a bit annoying, but even I don't remember the specifics of it, but I think even like, a, oh, that was it. Biden in some speech kind of altered some of his language related to this whole thing. Previous, previous these papers coming out, but like altered some language in a speech that had a little bit of sympathy towards, in this case, Uber, stupid stuff like this. And, mm-hmm. but that paved the way for their kind of market manipulation and dominance and and it was this this weird moment read and again i'm saying this a bit more to us friend than you know uh, person podcast guy who has it all together which is definitely not the case yeah where i was like it's just too it's just too big like it's too big like i just mm. i can't i can't you know which which is one part disheartenment right like people yeah. who mm. yeah you know at least like like i'm, I'm not going to pretend people's in those levels of of status and power and influence are uh, uncorruptible or even you know immune from some of the the darker allure of that but just this weird feeling of like (sighs) yeah (laughs) like yeah Yeah, yeah, i'm just me i'm just me way down here and you Mm -hmm. know it's kind of stupid to try to even wrestle down uh the ways of the world uh i just need to operate in my little zone i don't know like on the one hand it sounds real uh defeatist on the other hand it had a little bit of grain of you know kind of uh, um silver lining to it insofar as just like stop stop trying to move the world Uh, I, i don't know i don't know it's maybe weird but this in this dynamic of the single versus the institution, which may be a false uh, conflict, but it's just yeah. what's coming to mind. So, um, in the in the interests of winding down and, sure. but but also meeting the sincerity and the, the the heartfelt vulnerability that you've displayed there, I do think some things are just some things are just simply beyond our capacity, and it's okay. And I say this not patronizing. It's okay that some things are beyond our capacity. I go back often as a meditative contemplation to the story about the old man with the starfish on the beach. I've said I've cited it on this podcast before where, you know, a man's picking up starfish who have been beached and he's putting them back into the water and there are thousands of starfish on this beach and this old man who cannot walk very quickly or very well goes one by one, picks up a starfish, takes probably a couple of minutes to get him back down into the water and put it into the water. And then he comes back and does it again. And an observer of this old man goes to him and says, look at how many starfish there are on this beach. You cannot possibly think that what you are doing matters because there is no way that you will clear the beach. You cannot possibly think what you are doing makes any difference. And the old man looked down at a starfish and picks it up ambles down to the water, puts it back into the water, and comes back to the man and says, it mattered to that one. And what I would say to you, my friend, and to, you know, just speak to the institution thing in a second, is 
saving the world is beyond your capacity. Thousands of starfish on the beach. So do what you can to the ones that are in your, the ones you've reached, the the Mm -hmm. places you've reached, the things you've reached, the people you've encountered. It'll matter to that one. Sure. And I, and I say that not trying to be preachy or bumper stick, you know, like it'll matter to that one. And that's not nothing. And I think we, we, we grow, we do ourselves a disservice where we say, because we, cl- we, because we cannot clear the beach, we have not done a thing. That is wrong mm. and of the devil. Yeah. Um, of the uh, Prince of Darkness. It is of the Prince of Darkness. It is of the ooze <laughs> that has slimed too many people for too long. Because it, and I, I know I'm being a bit jokey because we're winding down and so I want that yeah. spirit. But I am, I am telling you with the full conviction of my spirit is that there is a lie that pervades that says, because you cannot do everything, therefore nothing you do matters. And that is a lie. Yeah. That is a lie. And there is also the lie that says that because, you know, because scripture says and, and, and Christ said a cup of cold water is, is a big difference maker. Those are paraphrase my words, but the cup of cold water. Right. And I believe there is a reason why he continually pointed to the small things and continually yes. pointed to the insignificant things because the world would say you've got to do the big significant things or you don't matter. And Christ breaks through all of the middle of that and says you matter because you matter. And everything that you do matters, and every choice you make makes a difference. And that is why, again, getting back to the work of John Carpenter, that that you have you have the capacity to do something. Now, that something may just be loving your family and your friends well. That is not nothing, and it matters, and it, and it could make a difference that you have no idea what it's going to make. But it's going to matter to that one. And we do ourselves a disservice if we let the lie that because we can't fix Uber, and I'm not saying this beating up sure. on your example, yeah, yeah, yeah. but because yep. we can't fix Uber or because there's all this corruption in these institutions and everything. And I do think it is possibly a good thing to be a little bit suspicious of the institution. That is probably sure. a good thing because then if we go through, then maybe we will just be savvy enough to recognize that we ourselves have to not let the institution do the work. We have to do the work. And we have to be the ones who are picking the starfish up and putting them down on the beach. We have to do that. Even if we only do that for those two people, it'll matter to that. You know? See, in your in your story there, what I heard is you calling me old. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, uh, perhaps as a final button, you know, the um, in the language of this movie, I think what that feeling I encountered in hearing this story and uh, the tendrils of it where it reached was this moment of recognition that how even those of us who are well-intended can still find ourselves reaching for the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, mm-hmm. we still are like, I don't know. I think I can, I think I can shortcut to yeah. something better when you just, just got to throw the ax at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Break all the mirrors. <laughs> um, no, I, all right. I, yeah, there's a there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there. But it, but we we've talked for a while, and um, I'm grateful for the conversation because mm-hmm. it's um, it's something that these are things which warm my spirit to meditate on, to recognize that these little choices matter, and it's healthy. It's healthy to 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 meditate on those things because then we take more care and caution with the little choices that we make instead of uh, waiting for the big ones to make a big decision. 
Um, so like a cup of cold water. It's a cup of hot coffee. You know, it's uh, something. It's, it's something. It's making a bad habit of that. Long, long How about as it's this not, fog meter? Yeah. So let's do that fog meter. So fog meter, very specific fear and God. We measure the scares. We measure the substance. We've done this enough now. If you're listening to us for the first time, uh, welcome. Uh, if you're not, you already know what the fog meter is. Nathan, Prince of Darkness. It's John Carpenter. It's crazy. It's nasty, bustule, Kelly thing. What do you give Prince of Darkness for the fear measure? Despite its grisliness, I actually didn't find it that scary. Mm. Um, uh, so, but it's hard to ignore the nasty. So, I was about to go to a six, but I think I'm going to go to a seven. Okay. I think I think on pure scares, it's a six. But I think the nastiness pops mm-hmm. it back up. Um, I was torn between a seven and an eight, so I'm actually going to go seven okay. and a half uh, because for, the, so for much of the but for much of the same reasons that you mm. described, though, is just like I don't think it's that nightmare inducing. There's some grisly, gruesome horror in it. So seven and a half for me on the God meter is where I would be, uh, perhaps to this film more so than others, a bit ungenerous. I am disappointed that. It does not reach its full potential. I like it almost in spite of itself, but I feel like it really doesn't. Uh, I, I, it's unfair of me to say that it squanders its premise. That's mean and 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 unfair. But I don't think it u- leverages its premise to the fullest capacity. So for a God meter, even though it's got some really interesting things about it, I'm going to give it a five. Hmm. But right, Jesus was you? an alien. <laughs> um, hmm. While I agree with you that it doesn't quite do justice to its central conceit, I like the finale, both the mirror climax and the Brian final beat enough to award a couple of generosity points there. So what did you say? A five? I said five. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll go for a six. Okay. And that means that we give Prince of Darkness, directed by John Carpenter, a 6 out of 10 on the fog meter. Uh, perfectly respectable showing. Uh, would you recommend Prince of Darkness to people? Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, it's gross, but I didn't find it. Even with its gross, there's something about, I'm, I'm re- recalling this stuff, but something about the thing, the scariness, the grossness in the thing that's a lot more otherworldly in its right. grotesquery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is gross. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, you reach a new level in your horror intake when you're like, it's palatably gross, <laughs> <laughs> especially this film, especially this. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I do recommend it. I think it's, I think it's, um, mm-hmm. I found myself kind of pulled in. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I recommend it to the, to everyone who's not averse to gore. Um, so I recommend it to that. Uh, it's not a strong recommendation. And, and I say that even as a, a, a fan, uh, lover of John Carpenter's work, uh, it's not a strong recommendation. And if you're okay with gore, it is a recommendation though. Um, he's, he's done better work. And if you're only citing like two or three of John Carpenter's works that you want to get to princess darkness, wouldn't make that list. But if you're you princess darkness. I didn't mean to if I did. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> of darkness wouldn't make that uh wouldn't make that cut. But um so yeah, that's speaking puts... of speaking of recommendations, I watched this during the day. Uh yeah. my youngest two children were out of town, my wife was at work, my oldest kid was here, but she was upstairs. Mm-hmm. So it was in the morning, tried to mm-hmm. knock it out before the day got swept away and 
had about 10 minutes left and eldest kid oh no roused from above and i heard her coming downstairs and i just threw my hand up said stop it <laughs> 10 stop. more minutes 10 more go minutes up, back go, up. go back upstairs it's <laughs> <laughs> so funny oh my gosh um well that puts this second entry of john carpenter redux into the books and uh next week we're going to be doing something if scheduling permits which we believe it will and if opportunity permits which we believe it will we're going to be doing something a little different uh next week we are going to be having a part one of a broader lengthier conversation about the work of john carpenter and kurt russell so specifically Hear me, listeners. Specifically, we're going to be talking about, in greater detail, Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China. Both of those films will get a lot of very specific attention uh, in, in the conversations that play out over the next couple of weeks. But if all goes according to plan, we're going to have a lengthy conversation, not only about Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China, which you definitely should watch, but also probably about the thing, maybe pointing to a couple of other things uh, that uh, are the work and uh, creative partnership of John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. So very specifically, Escape from New York and Big Trouble in Little China, I would advise maybe revisiting the thing. Um, and we are going to have part one of that hopefully lengthy and very fun conversation next week. Part two will follow the week after that. But again, just acquaint yourself with Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, have those pieces in your mind. And very specifically next week, patrons should acquaint yourself with Stranger Things Season 4, Episode 3, because that will be happening next week in its entirety. So hopefully that all made sense. Um, again, we're trying something a little different and fun with this Carpenter Redux series. But as always, Nathan, thank you so much for engaging in this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. And I'm always Absolutely. very encouraged by it. It's very... Um, it's very uplifting. And uh, thank you, listeners, for hanging with us. As we say on every episode, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We will see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.